Hi, I'm Susan Clark. And I'm Chris Marie Campbell. Welcome to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. Have you ever wanted to take some of what you've learned on the podcast to the next level? Well, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty in conflict. To learn more, go to www.thriving.com forward slash team kit. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T. Hi, I'm Chris Marie. And I'm Susan. And today we're going to talk to you about why corporate culture even matters and what it is and companies that we see do well and companies that we don't, we see it not do it well. <laughs> it is one of those words, Chris, I think that people use a lot when you, you know, we have a good culture, we're building our culture, we're doing this, you know, and it's like, do you actually even know how you define culture? <laughs> exactly. And, and so many times there's this culture that, you know, exists out here somewhere, but when it really comes into where, into a, into the boardroom or into where the business is getting done, it's kind of like the culture was out there, not in here. And well, let's be clear. There's culture everywhere. It's just, yeah. is it aligned and what is it and how are we defining it? And so really, I think we're going to give you our definition and we've been working with organizations for 20 plus years together and even more before then. And so our view of culture and how we coach organizations to take a more concrete look at it It's related to your core purpose or mission of your organization. Like people that work there, you want them jazzed about why the organization exists beyond making money. Like, do they really believe in it? And then it also relates to what we call strategic anchors, which are like one, two or three things that really drive the decision-making business side of it. And so it guides the decision-making of everybody in the organization And then core values, which are the best of your DNA. They're what you want to replicate and how people behave. And all of this kind of mixes in and creates kind of this shared belief, shared behaviors, kind of shared vision and creates the basically the immune system of the organization, meaning it keeps out people that don't necessarily fit that culture and really fosters the people that do. And like our immune system, you know, when a culture has some elements in it that don't fit, it's, you know, that immune system kicks in. And sometimes though, if you haven't really looked at what your culture really is, your immune system may be fighting (laughs) and you're not paying attention to the fact that, oh, wait a minute, there's a misalignment between the business we say we're doing and our values in the core of who we are. And Susan, I think you were saying in the beginning, we have seen so often when we're working at the executive level, like, oh yeah, we have a good culture. You know, that's how those people behave out there and no ownership, no talking about it, no reinforcing it through stories of how people have been behaving that reinforce, say, the the values of the organization or linking. This is our this is the work that you're doing and this is how it fits our strategic anchors. Or don't you see how we this is why we made that decision, because it fits our core purpose, like the, the role of the leadership team and then cascading down to the managers is to help people understand how all these things link up and yes. create the culture. I think too often culture gets tossed over to HR, human resources. <laughs> and sadly, human resources isn't always at that leadership level. Where it works best is when they are. But again, it's still not just their job. It's no. like, you know, it's like, okay, this is a part, like if someone who is in marketing isn't aware of the values or 
you know, figuring out how does, how do our values even apply to marketing or apply to product development or apply to finance, any of those, it's, they're going to miss the mark. And one of the ways in that we use a big lever in this is looking at starting with your core values. I'm just going to start there. It's an easy place because that's how people behave and you want them to keep behaving that way. And when we say, well, do you hire to these values? Like, do you ask behavioral questions about, well, how did you solve a problem using humor? If humor was one of your values, you want everyone in your organization all the way down to the individual contributor, to the CEO who has a story about that because you want them all, everyone in your company behaving that way. And if, you know, say you're a company that's like, Hey, we're all about innovation and the next new thing. The thing to remember, if that really is what you're about, you want to find out how does somebody who's answering the phones, how did they, how does innovation apply to them? Because they're, you know, and it can, you know, I believe there are ways to look at that, but you have to be looking from that broader lens. And well, even like I think 3M innovation is one of their values. And so they give all their employees time during their week that they focus on innovation, like coming up with new things. So they build it into the structure and the system of how the organization works. So you can't just say, yeah, we're for teamwork or we're for innovation or humor, and then not do anything that's really reinforcing that. And and so often I think companies, especially companies that are growing fast or startups or have these ideals, like these, these yeah. this is who we want to be. <laughs> Not who we are. <laughs> and, you know, and that actually can be, you know, create a lot of problems. And it's not a problem if you know it and own it and recognize this isn't who we are now, but this is an aspiration. That's one thing. But if you're saying, here's who we are, and it's really not who you are, <laughs> it can seem very inconsistent. Yeah. And you know, the whole thing, I'll give you, an, we'll give you a concrete example to lay this on. And this is hopefully a company that everyone knows, Southwest Airlines. And this is us from the outside. So we don't have validation necessarily, but their core purpose when they started out was democratize air travel. So they wanted to make it so that it, they weren't, they weren't going after the business travelers like United. They were like, Hey, we want families to fly here. And so their strategic anchors, so that was their core purpose. Their strategic anchors were low cost, on time, and customer loyalty. And so they all the decisions they made, they used 737s, one type of airplane that kept their costs down. It also helped their on-time performance because their pit crews, their mechanics at all the airports knew what plane they were working on. They weren't shuttling around different equipment. The customer loyalty, they didn't use travel agents they bags fly free, all those different things, just peanuts that, you know, people knew what they were getting and they liked it and they could afford the tickets. That's the low cost piece. So all these decisions, and we were flying one time and we asked, there was some change and we asked the flight attendant about it. And, and she was like, well, the reason we're doing this is because otherwise it would hurt our on-time performance. Like they knew these were their strategic anchors. Now we have gone to other airlines where something odd was happening <laughs> and ask a flight attendant a similar question. And what we got was, oh my God, I have no idea why we did that. Please write our company and tell them. Yeah. So sometimes that's when, and my guess is, I know that's a much larger, it's a big airline and probably they don't communicate it as clearly and they have a very complicated system about what all they're doing. So, you know, anger should be, relatively straightforward and simple. 
Yeah. And drive the decision making from the top all the way down to the bottom. It's not your book of goals, like, you know, years of KPRs and all the, it's, it's like simple ways to make decisions. And then there's the, the core values, which are really how you behave. And in Southwest, I don't know all of them, but I know humor was one of them. And if you've flown Southwest, you probably know that too. And they do ask anybody, the pilots, the flight attendants, the mechanics, the, the executives, when have you diffused a situation using humor? And you know, those flight attendants, they're like, you know, in case of a landing, the all this will happen. An umbrella and your drink will go off. Well, <laughs> yeah. somebody, I guess somebody did say that one time. And, you know, one of the people on the plane wrote to Herb Keller and said, you know, I'm horrified that your people are making fun of the plane crash, blah, 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 blah. And blah, he blah, wrote back. That's a la, 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 la. Yes. He, they, I don't know the full gist of his writing. <laughs> and he wrote back and said, you know, we'll miss you. Like, in other words, that, you know, they were willing to lose a client because their values had to do with humor. And so they weren't going to fire the flight attendant. So values are things that you are intolerant of the opposite of that. So you will let go of somebody and you'll also let go of clients. You, you're not apologizing for your values. They're very core to who you are. I mean, I, you don't want a whole set of them. You want like three. Yeah. I remember a while back working for a pretty large telecommunications company and they were actually trying to, they had a value of humble. And I just remember they, they also were, you know, a lot of engineers at the time. I remember them talking about their executive team, talking about one hire that everybody wanted, but there was one guy in the room who said, no way he's not humble. You know, and they had quite the fight about it because apparently this guy was brilliant, but not humble. Yeah. And I so was struck by it. You know, every, it was kind of like they all kind of had to cry <laughs> at the decision, but they all agreed. You're right. He's not humble. And I was so struck by that guy standing, you know, making that so clear. And you, you know? really want. So that's I, I remember that example. And it's a great one because saying no to the perfect candidate, I'm doing air quotes, but not really smart in the head, but they're going to not really keep those values alive, which is going to make your organization toxic. And that's one of the mistakes we see young, organi- well, even big organizations, they tolerate, they say, well, big organizations tend to have a plaque on the wall and they don't even do anything. You know, they're not reinforcing them. Small organizations are very excited about their behavioral values, but then they, well, let's hire him anyway. They or hire her. for a crisis. Yeah. So they're, you know, or they hire for fast growth and they're like, okay, but this person won't stay. And it's like, okay, but you might still want to consider whether this is who you want to have here or not. And I think in larger companies, what happens is, and I see this, like as companies grow and people have less and less, you know, they're in more meetings and they're maybe doing more strategic things. They actually lose sight of whether they're actually living those values or not. They're actually not looking at themselves. They're looking you know, out at the at things. And so they actually lose sight of that placard on the wall. I think actually when you said people start behaving for a crisis. So, you know, that's when you bend the rules. You're like, okay, we, and this happens, you know, you see this, you know, Enron, you see <laughs> bad examples of it, really bad examples, but it can happen in small ways and it starts to chip away. And then people go, people in the company are like, well, mm. wait a minute, why am I working so hard mm. to be a team player or have humor when this is what's going on or humble? And I do think the other thing that 
happens in large organizations too, is you start to get subcultures. Oh, so, for sure. Even and, in small companies, yes, subcultures. <laughs> and you know, you don't just have this one culture. You know, you do have different aspects of it. And so you kind of have to pay attention to that. And you don't want it to become something that's like some rogue team over here that's just really doing their own thing. And that, you know, this culture, corporate culture, organizational culture, it's not a bolt on. It's not something that you have HR figure out. Just like diversity and inclusion isn't something you throw over the fence. All these things Actually, you want your culture to integrate diversity and inclusion. And how, what would that look like? So this takes time and effort. And it's a process that really takes the executives all the way down and then getting the buy-in and then building the systems that reinforce this, telling stories about all these different things, helping people connect the dots. And helping people realize that even people at the highest level of an organization, some of the most powerful things is they, when they get I'm not doing, I have stopped that. Mm -hmm. It's not that you have to be perfect, but you do need to recognize we're off track and then not just make the excuse, we'll get back on track, but actually work at it. A great uh, example is when a CEO says, you know what, we have this value of, let's say humble. And I realize I have not been being humble, you know, owns it. Or I realize I've been turning my eye to that thinking, oh, we, but we've got to, we've got to win. And so we're going to break that value. And if it's not your value, that's fine. Maybe you need to relook at them. But if it is really important to you, that's where you really want to make a different choice. One Same the- with, I mean, I think of that, that's values. That, that's so critical to values. It's also very critical to strategic anchors. Like I, you know, I think of companies we work with, it's like, you know, we want to be flexible. We want things to be simple. We want things. And then we're in there listening to them talk <laughs> about some program they're going to implement. And it's the most complex, insane document driven thing. And it's like, okay, what happened to those values? It applies here too, you know? And so that it is tricky sometimes to how do you keep at least talking about it? And I know one company, I was, it was kind of sweet because they were like, okay, okay, yes, we're still going to do this. And we know that it's not simple. (laughs) And we're still going to put it out on the field to play because we're starting there. But that's how they recognize we did not, we did not do it simple and we want to make it more simple. So we're going to do that next step. So again, the acknowledgement does make a difference. Oh, it's a huge difference. We are all for being human and acknowledging. Now, if you keep, if you keep making things complicated (laughs) and don't learn, then it's a problem. But if you can acknowledge and learn and move towards that value, that's really powerful. Now, one of the places that we see this is a huge financial impact. Well, we think it is in any company, but when there's mergers and acquisitions, and a lot of times fast growth companies want to buy another company because that's really going to help them grow their bottom line. And what they fail to recognize is that is looking at the lens of that company through this cultural lens. And anytime we've worked with so many painful mergers and acquisitions because the, they did not look at that culture lens and they have a very different culture and they try to merge them. And there's all this like carnage that goes on. They don't actually get the value of the, that, that the MBAs, and I have an MBA, that the MBAs have put on a spreadsheet. So why this is a great idea? Because they didn't actually, it's like a marriage. They didn't, they didn't match the values. I was thinking even recently, uh, you or know, the culture, some, I yeah, uh, recently, and you know, it's the values of the two companies that are merging together. But I also, you know, sometimes with young startup companies, they're also looking for venture capital and companies that will support them. And like, 
I, you know, it was interesting talking to some people who are doing that work as a CFO. And it's like, we also, it helps if that venture capitalist has aligned values. Yes. And so often that's not even considered, you know, the company you're buying isn't, but also the, maybe even the bank you work with, the way, who are your key financial people? If there's not some continuity in the values, it could be a real mess. Yeah. And so important to pay attention to. And yet you don't think of it. It's like, oh my God, I just need money so we can buy this. You know? Yeah. And I guess that's really, you know, as, as we're talking, I'm recognizing, you know, the crisis, the, oh my God, we've got to do this. The willingness to sacrifice what you know is really good and going to help the culture. The willingness to sacrifice for the end result almost always shoots the company in the foot, I would say quite often, but mm-hmm. in the moment, it's like, oh no, no, we have to do it. We have to get the money. We have to buy the company. We have to hire this brilliant person, even though they don't fit our values and they're going to create a toxic culture for us. I even think of situations where, I mean, it, it, there's so many ways you can apply these things. Cause I also was thinking of someone I was talking to recently who works in a marketing agency and they were looking at CMN or software or something. You know? CRM. CRM, yeah. And, but, you know, there's the big players. And they were like, well, no, that that does not fit who we are. We actually, and I, w- I was actually listening to them thinking about their software choices and they were aligning it through what their own value system was, mm-hmm. you know? And I just thought, Oh, wow. And, you know, that would not, sometimes I wish I did think more about that when we made choices about <laughs> what kind of software we're going to use. Like there's so many ways you can apply this. Yeah. Is it simple? Is it clean? Is it, I think of people who love Microsoft because it's ultra secure. And then somebody else who's like, well, no, I'm, I'm all game for Zoom because I can do breakout rooms and it may not be secure yet, but they're going to get there. Yeah. You know, so different reasons why people choose things and looking at it through what is the lens you're looking at it through. I, even our clients, I, we work with all types of clients, but I find I'm like, wow, why am I liking this client so much? And it's often because they fit our values of mm-hmm. relational, being relational. They're flexible and nimble and able to do things. And I have been surprised like, wow, versus when we bump into a formal culture. And there, there's a model at the University of Michigan that talks about four types of culture. And first there's two axes. There's flexibility, which one, which direction is this? This is vertical axis. Yeah, yeah. The ver- <laughs> vertical axis. She's Vert- drawing in in front of me. I, know. I got it now. So <laughs> there's flexibility on the top and stability on the bottom. And then there's a horizontal axis. And on the left is internal focus and integration versus on the right is external and differentiation. And these create four different cultures. And the first one, which is flexible and internal and integration is the clan. The clan is like like a lot of startups, like we're in this together, team building, they're really connected. And uh, I was trying to think of if we came up with an example, but startups are often that way as they're growing. I think, you know, I think of the Haven where we used to, yeah. it was very clan-based, you know, in terms of the type of people who came to it, the faculty, the, you know, how it rose up from where it was through its founders. So, yeah. So it's often like 50 to 200 people. You often almost know all the people there. <laughs> then there's the, if you go clockwise, flexible and external differentiation is adhocracy. So ad hocracy, meaning they're innovative. They want to make a profit. They're taking a lot of risk to invent. And, and you know, like uh, Apple would be this one. And as it grew, I mean, it's a behemoth now, but that sort of like, well, let's try this. Let's try that, mm-hmm. putting things out there. Then uh, if you keep going around the clock, 
external and stability they call market. And these are very competitive, but they have a lot of stability and systems. So I would put Microsoft because it's been around. I was even thinking when we were working with Microsoft recently, and they were actually having the challenge of, actually, we have to be able to be more flexible than we're used to being. And we have these systems that were Blocking blocking that. So yeah, you know. Yeah. And then if you continue to go around, the last one is hierarchical and that's stable and internally focused. And those companies, you know, I think about a Johnson and Johnson or big longstanding companies that got all these systems in place. And that's just another view to look at we, our, our computer knew we were talking about Microsoft Teams. So, so it started popping it on, popping on, <laughs> you know, it's very interesting. It's saying, you know, no, we're better than Zoom. We're more secure. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we wanted to give you that lens and think about the organization you work with or the organizations you've worked with. And are they a clan that internal and, and flexible ad hocracy? Are they growing and risk taking risks? Are they market more external and differentiating and competitive in the market. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's an interesting distinction between the ad hocacy, you know, which is just like, I want innovation, not, you know, I'm going to take over the market. It's they're different, slightly different approaches or hierarchical, (laughs) which is that internal instability. And even when I was at Boeing, Boeing was that it's their big behemoths and have big systems and they survive. Yeah, I, so. yeah, I would. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking about culture and thinking and just giving it a little more time and attention about how you want to define it and how are you bringing it into every aspect of your business and your organization? And are you having the tough conversations when your people aren't acting in alignment with the values? They're not just a plaque on the wall, the values, or we're making decisions outside of our strategic anchors, or this doesn't seem aligned with our mission. Those are healthy things to bring up. And often that's what we're supporting uh, organizations to have those conversations about. And we know it's not easy. I mean, we have, there have been times in our world where we know where we may have signed up for a client and we're like, whoa, this is outside of yeah. too far outside. I mean, and this was, you know, we weren't hiring someone, but still looking at that. Cause even if you're working with another company and then when we found someone who is aligned, like more recently, we've been working with a marketing firm that really fits us yes. <laughs> there, you know, which is really fun to work with because we have aligned values. So, you know, just think about it for you. Where's it working? Where's it not? And just notice it, pay and, attention to culture and have the conversations when it's working and when it's not. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Susan here. As a coach, a lot of my time is spent helping clients speak up in a direct and honest way in their relationships at home and at work. Chris Marie and I decided to create a speak up kit to help you do that for yourself. It's the best of our best work that we've gathered to help you. To learn more, go to thriveinc.com forward slash speak up. That's www. T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C dot C-O-M forward slash S-P-E-A-K-U-P.